I'm going to be reading from Luke 15, verse 11. So I think it'll be up there, but also if you want to read it in your Bibles. Okay. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided up his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with just the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, go get the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they all began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the other son, the older one, was in the field and he came near to the house and he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what is going on? Your brother has come home, he replied. Your father killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The other brother became angry and refused to go in. So the father went out to him and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything that I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad Because this brother of yours was dead and is now alive. He was lost and now is found. Thank you. You can sit down. Thank you, Amy, for reading that. If I haven't met you yet, my name's Chris. We are continuing our series in Luke, and we are in chapter 15. We're taking a snapshot of each chapter as we move forward through Luke. And so we encourage you to read what is in between that as well. And today, this morning, you just heard Amy read probably one of the most famous parables Jesus has told. And in fact, probably also one of the longest parables 
Jesus has ever told parable, just meaning a story that Jesus shares with listeners to help them understand a little bit deeper some truth about the kingdom of God. And so we're going to dive into that. It's probably one that many of us have heard before, um, but we want to pray that we would see it with fresh eyes, that we would hear it new, so that we wouldn't just, you know, sometimes you maybe go back to watch a movie you've seen already or read a book that you've read already, and perhaps you might lose a little bit of the emotion, the feeling, the tone, because you go, oh, yeah, I've already seen this before, right? And so my prayer is that we would hear these words, the Spirit of God would speak them to us freshly, not that there would be something new that wasn't there before that we're making up, but maybe that if there's anything we've ever missed before, that the Spirit would make that known to us. Sound good? I actually have lived through a, a story similar to this before in my life, a, a prodigal son parable, if you will, when I was younger, when I was about in fourth grade. Uh, my oldest brother, who's five years older than me, ran away from home. And I remember that night waking up in the middle of the night to my dad and, and my stepmom talking about it, and they were calling the police, and they were worried. My brother um, had felt like something wasn't just, you know, you usually do when you're a freshman in high school. Whatever your parents do is just completely wrong, right? And so uh, I think what had happened is all of us got grounded for something, for something that one person did, and we, no one knew who that one person was. And this happened a lot in my household with six kids. Somebody would do something, my parents would discover it, and they would go, who did this? And nobody would chime up. And so they would go, all right, all of you go to your room. And this happened a lot. And so uh, this, this time it happened, we were all grounded. And because of some other things, too, that had gone on, my brother just decided he had enough. So he got on his bicycle in the middle of the night, left a note, grabbed, uh, packed a bag full of a bunch, bunch of snacks, and took off. So the next morning we wake up, and I already knew this had gone on. I heard it in the middle of the night. Uh, but we still had to go to school. I thought maybe, like, for sure, we would get out of going to school that day because this was a big deal. Our brother is missing, right? They're like, no, you're still going to school while we try to figure this out. So we packed our lunches, and we went to school. And then when we were coming home from school that day, I was walking home with my other siblings, and we saw my oldest brother in the yard and a police officer and my parents, and he was just shooting hoops in the driveway. And I was so mad at him. <laughs> we went over to him and we're like, dude, you took all the snack packs. <laughs> that was for our lunches. The Cheez-Its, they're all gone. We had to take carrot sticks in our lunch. What? And he's like, guys, I didn't know when my next meal was going to come. I was out there all alone. I'm like, bro, you were gone for one night. How did you eat 14 snack packs? Where are they? Did you put them back? No, they were, they were gone. They were gone forever. I was so mad at him. And not only that, he's sitting there playing hoops. He's supposed to be grounded. We all had to go back to our room. Figure that one out. I don't know. But anyway, to this day, uh, I still remember that story. But I do have a lovely relationship with my oldest brother. So I didn't stay angry like the other brother in this story. But, you know, just I was thinking about that this week, just how funny that is how ridiculous that was, that that was my number one concern, like all the snack packs were gone <laughs> and my brother was missing. And I, I remember that and I go, man, like if there's someone I can relate to in this story, Jesus tells, it's the older brother. And what's interesting about that is this story has, as famous as it's become, has been dubbed what? 
the prodigal son, right? Son, one, singular. There's two brothers in this story. It's almost like a a two-chapter story. Like chapter one, here's the mess that the younger brother got himself into and how his dad relates to him. Chapter two, here's how the older brother gets himself in some trouble and how his dad relates to him. Who's the consistent character in this story? Yeah, the father, right? Jesus is sharing this story to help us unlock something deeper and true about the father. And because we are very highly individualistic in our culture, we take this story and we call it the prodigal son, one person, and we see ourselves as that one person and we go, here's the story, no matter what I do in life, I can always come back to God and he's gonna welcome me in. Truth, right? Yeah, absolutely. And we'll talk about that. But are we possibly missing something else in this story? Something else going on too? And in fact, we need to know who Jesus' audience is when he's talking and telling this story. And so just a real quick recap of what we skipped over As I said, we're giving a snapshot of that chapter. So last week we were in chapter 14 and Jesus gave another parable, a story about a great banquet, a dinner party. And so he's invited to the leader of the Pharisee's house on a Sabbath, on a day of rest. And he's only invited so they can test him. And remember, they also invited this other person who was poor and diseased. They would have never invited this person to their home for dinner to eat with them because he was considered unclean. But they have him there to test Jesus to see if he's going to heal this guy on the Sabbath, therefore working on the day of rest and breaking one of God's commands, right? And so Jesus goes, man, you guys got this all wrong. Like, you don't understand the, the way you're even sitting yourselves at this table, fighting over the highest seat of honor. You're, you're fighting to give yourselves power and authority and honor and position and status And actually, this man here, who you've brought in only as a ploy, only as a trap for me, he's the one who's got the humility to be welcomed into my table because he knows he needs me, and you don't. And so Jesus goes through this whole exchange with them, and he shares a lot of things with them to help them understand that. And that's the middle of chapter 14. And then we're told it's it's like the next day he goes out and he starts teaching because a lot of crowds start following him. So this is chapter 14, verse 25 is where this picks up. There's tons of crowds following after Jesus. And so he starts talking to them. Now, I want us to catch this. Like, you got a whole crowd of people now. Your ministry's going great. It's booming. People are hearing about you. You're getting fame. You You got a big church going right now. And this is what he tells them. You need to hate your own family to follow after me. What? That's crazy, right? And listen, Jesus is not saying hate in the way that we would think it. He's not saying like, you need to completely despise your family to follow me. What he's saying is this, and he's using this great hyperbole to really capture their attention because he sees there's a crowd of people here because I'm doing miracles. And potentially they're here because they want something from me, not because they want the good news of me. And so he gives him this crazy statement that you need to love the kingdom of God so much 
that even your love for your own family pales in comparison. And a bunch of people are like, this is too much. I can't take it. And so he starts talking and continuing about the cost it takes to follow him. Now, what we're seeing all throughout Scripture, all throughout Luke, is this kind of like tension that's being held together. Because we just heard at that dinner table, man, even the lowest people in your society are welcome at my table. Remember last week, though, we, we talked about at Jesus' table, there's both invitation and expectation. You're welcomed into my table no matter who you are. Now, I expect you to do the same. Welcome others in that same way, right? And, and there's this tension throughout Luke that he keeps showing us of like, hey, everyone's welcome. Hey, few of you will follow me. Hey, you're all welcome. Please come and follow me. Let me tell you how difficult it's going to be, right? And so in a sense, he's kind of scaring away the crowds. It's like he's, he's weeding through who's going to stick around and who's going to be faithful. But then we get to chapter 15. And in verses 1 and 2, it says, All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. It's interesting. Jesus is talking about how hard it is to follow him. And here's his crowd now. The people who the religious elite would have thought were the lowest, the scum. They're gathering around to Jesus. What does he have to say? They're following. In verse 2, and the Pharisees, that's the religious leaders and the scribes, were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So then Jesus proceeds to tell a few parables. That's our context for this story Jesus tells. He's sitting there talking to a bunch of people who are on the outs of the church, and he's welcoming them. And then the religious people come, and they're like, can you believe who he's hanging out with right now? Can you believe who he's sitting down and eating with right now? So Jesus turns to them, and he tells a few stories. First parable is one of the lost sheep. And so you may have heard this one before too. It's also pretty familiar. Uh, it's the idea that this man has 100 sheep, and one of them escapes and runs away and gets lost and he says, how many of you, if you were that person, would you not leave those 99 and go after the one? And you would get the lamb and you would ho hoist them on your shoulders and you'd bring them back and you'd call all your friends and celebrate and throw a party because this sheep was lost and now he is found, right? Because in that time, in that day, this would have been a big deal. This was their livelihood. This is how they survived. And if you're a poor person under the oppression of another government, Rome for them, in an agricultural society, and you lose some of your agricultural property, that's a big deal. So he's saying, of course you would go, and you would go out and grab that sheep and bring them back. And a lot of times, again, in our highly individualistic culture, what do we do? We take that parable, we take that story, and we go, yeah, Jesus, he would, he would leave all the others to come after me because I'm so great. Man, he must love me so much, right? Of course, he loves you. Yeah, again, truth, right? But why? How could he leave those 99? Not because he despises them, not because he rejects them, not because he says, I don't care about them as much as I care about this one, this one sheep is special. No, it's because those are not the sheep who ran away. They're safe, back at his property, in a gate, hedged in. So he goes, what I'm doing is I'm gonna go grab that other sheep 
and I'm going to bring it back, and I'm going to reunite it with its family. And so it's not just for the sake of that one sheep, but it's also to restore wholeness to that community of sheep. Does that make sense? And that's what I want us to hear in the parable of the two brothers as well. That going and welcoming in the younger brother was also just as much for the older brother as it was for the sake of the younger brother. So he tells this one, and it's about sheep, and so maybe they're not getting it. So he tells another one then about, all right, so what if a lady doesn't have much money and she loses a very valuable coin? Would she not clean out her whole house to find that coin? And then when she finds it, isn't she going to celebrate with her friends too? Because that's a big deal. Again, her livelihood, right? And so, okay, you've heard this analogy with animals and with money. Maybe you're still not getting it. Maybe, maybe another story perhaps is more appropriate here to help you see not just about how important as a possession or as a, a monetary thing, but how important this is for a community of people such as a family. That's our context. And so Jesus starts telling a story about two brothers. And he, he says at the very beginning, Verse 11, a man had two sons, right? Two sons. Here's what's fascinating. Remember, his audience, yeah, there's, there's people who are on the outs of the religious people at the time. There's people who are considered sinners and unclean and the lowest of low. They're there. But it wasn't until the religious leaders came and kind of like turned up their noses at the rest and said, Jesus, what do you think you're doing hanging out with them that he tells these stories? Who is the story primarily for, you think? It's interesting that the younger brother gets a resolve in this story. We know what happens with him. He comes back. He humbles himself. I mean, when you look at the beginning of the story, like, which brother do you want to be? When you only hear the beginning, it's like, yeah, I want to be that older brother. He's doing the right things, right? But as you get toward the end of his chapter, the younger brother, he comes back with humility before his dad. Remember, we talked about at the the dinner table last week, what does Jesus say? I don't want you, I don't expect you to be good, to be cleaned up. I don't expect you to be the person who should be in the highest seat of honor. I want you to humble yourself into the lowest seat first. Those people are welcome at my table. And so what Jesus is looking for is humility, not your righteousness. That's a hard one for me. And if you're like me, you're like the older brother. That's a hard one, isn't it? But I'm doing all the right things. Like, Jesus should be happy with me, right? I'm I'm following the list. I'm checking off the rules. I mess up every now and then, but then I try harder. Then I really dig deep and I make amends for what I did. I I, I pay it off. I mean, that was kind of even the younger brother's plan of coming back and saying, let me be your hired hand. It's a sense of I'm going to bring some restitution to what I did. I'm going to work until I pay off what I took from you. And the dad doesn't even let him do it, right? He doesn't. When, when we fail at that list, 
Do we try to earn ourselves back? Or do we come instead with the humility of a younger brother and go, look, I messed up. I don't deserve to be your son. And yet I know I can come to you. And then the father welcomes him in. He gets a resolve to the story, but the older brother does not, right? What happens with the older brother at the end? We don't know, do we? He's left outside. He's angry. Do you find yourselves getting angry often at other people? At the mistakes they make? The way that they treat you or others? The, the things that they do? Does that anger you? Maybe, maybe we need to hear this parable through the lens of the older brother. He's angry a lot in this story because he's been working so hard to do all the right things, to follow all the right rules, to be in a position where the father has to bless him. And then here's this son of yours, he calls him. This is going to call him his brother. It's like when I was rolling up to my house in fourth grade and I saw my brother there, it wasn't this, oh, my brother's back, this is great. It was this, there's that guy that took my snack packs. You know, like completely removing the relationship there. And that's what the older brother does. This son of yours comes home. And you have a party? He's angry. He's angry at his brother. He's angry at his dad. And we don't know what happens. And what's incredible is the dad, the father in the story, continues to show grace not just to the younger brother, but also to the older brother. And he says, listen, everything I have, it's, it's already yours. What are you upset about? Stop being upset. Come inside and celebrate with us. Be reunited with your brother. I brought that one sheep home for the 99 as well. This is a restoration of community. This is restoring the family to be whole again. This is your brother. Come celebrate. He was gone and now he's back. He was lost and now he's found. He was dead and now he's alive won't you celebrate with us? And we don't know if he does. Jesus ends the story right there with this cliffhanger. What, is, what does he end up doing? And I think he does this. Jesus is a pretty good communicator. I don't know if you knew that, but I think he does this on purpose because he is speaking not to the tax collectors and sinners, not to the traitors and the people who have broken the commandments over and over again. He's speaking it to the people who have done all the right things because he wants them to see themselves in this story. Do you see yourself in this story? And it's like leaving them with this question. Will you come inside? Will you come and celebrate? Will you come into the party, into the father's house? Jesus knows that not very long from now, from telling the story, that it's the Pharisees, the religious leaders, who are going to be the ones to incite the crowds and to get Rome to murder Jesus. He knows it. He knows what's in their hearts and that they're attempting and they're plotting to kill him. And he still, in this moment, is inviting them to the table. He's still saying, would you humble yourselves? I know you followed all the rules, but that's not the point. Would you lay down 
your pride and your anger and come in and celebrate and feast with me. And so that's the invitation to all of us this morning too. And some of us though might be sitting here going like, man, I really hope the older brother does that, but I'm that younger brother. And I'm still not even sure if I can come back home. I'm still not even sure if I come to the Father in that way and say, I, I don't deserve to be your child. I've sinned against you, against other people, against heaven. What is he going to do? Is he going to look down upon me? Is he going to be angry with me? Will I be punished when I come back into his presence? You don't know the things that I've done, right? Like I have messed up big time. And the things that I think in my head and the things that I feel in my heart are so opposite of what Jesus calls us to be. How can I be welcomed back in? And I think it's beautiful that while even though he's speaking to the Pharisees and the religious leaders, he knows he's got these other people here too who are feeling just that. As a tax collector, I'm I'm one of the Jewish people, the people that God has called to be his people, and yet I am, instead, I am robbing from them and giving it to Rome, our oppressor. I become friends with them, with our enemy, And not only do I do that, but like I go and I take their taxes and I take a little bit more. That's my payment for being a traitor. I take a little bit more from you so I can line my pockets. This was like the scum of the earth to the Jewish people. The sinners, the unclean, the people with diseases and poverty who are like, That community would have said, the only reason you're in that situation is because you must have done something terrible. God must not care about you. And Jesus knows they're all sitting here, listening, as he tells this story to the religious leaders. And he spends a lot of time talking about the younger brother. A lot of time. He lays out like one of the worst ways you can offend your father in that day. When the, when the younger brother comes to the dad and he says, give me my inheritance. Do you know what he's essentially saying there? You're dead to me. Yeah, or I wish you would be dead, right? Like, if, if your parent had a will and you found out that you got something out of it, it would be like you going to them saying, listen, could you just die already? Because I really want that. Like, seriously, that's what's happening. And not only that, in that day, what would happen is the older brother always got a double portion of the inheritance that all the other siblings got. So in this case, there's two brothers. What would have happened is if this father died, the oldest brother would get two-thirds of all the father's stuff, and the younger brother, one-third. And so what he does is he goes to the dad and he says, listen, I don't care about you. I don't care about being with you. I don't care about honoring you as scriptures tell me to. Would you just give me your stuff so I can leave and be done with you? And what's incredible is what does his father do? 
does it, huh? He divides his property between the two brothers. And so the older brother gets his two-thirds, and the younger brother gets his third, and he takes it, and he goes. What that would have meant was, because part of that is the property, the land that he owns. And so as a landowner, he can't just give a third of that land to his son and his son leave with it. You can't pick up the land and go. So he would have had to have sold the land, which is his livelihood again. In an agricultural society, that's how he survives. Sells the land, gives him his percentage of it. He takes off. He goes to Vegas or something, right? I had to pick a city. It wasn't going to be Yuma because no one's going to go there. He goes to Vegas. He blows all his money doing some terrible, dirty things. And then there's like this huge, uh, huge drought and a bunch of debt falls on Vegas and they become like Detroit did a while back and they have to go bankrupt and nobody has anything in Vegas anymore. And so he's broke and poverty's fallen on the whole city and he hires himself out to someone who lives there who's pretty poor himself, but he says, hey, if you would just let me feed your rats. I had to pick something besides pigs because we all love bacon now and you don't get the same connotation that pigs would have had for the Jewish society then, this was dirty. You don't go near those animals. Let me feed your rats for you. And he's doing this, and the only way he can eat is that he starts taking some of this rat food and eating out of the same thing they're eating out of. And he's starving. And it says when he comes to his senses, it's almost like he's been in a stupor of sin. Has anyone ever been there before? Like, I don't even know why I'm doing this. All of a sudden, you, you wake up and you come to your senses. You're like, what am I doing? What am I thinking right now? Like, no control over his actions, it felt like. And then he wakes up and goes, what is wrong with me? If I go back home to Phoenix, because that's the land of plenty. If I go back home to Phoenix, my dad there, he's got a big house. Like, they're still living on the property that was sold because two-thirds of it still belonged to my brother, and they're living there together. And they have all this stuff. And what he says is not that I could go back and be a slave. He says, be a hired servant. Now, the difference back then is if you were a slave, you actually got to live there on property. But if you're a hired hand, you're someone who lives a little bit outside of that in, in like, the poorer part of town and would travel in to work their land for them. And you do it to pay something off. And so he's saying, I don't even get to go back and stay in his house anymore. But if I go back as a hired hand, maybe I could eventually pay off some of what I've taken from him and maybe earn back some type of right standing with him. I'll never be a son again because I blew that. And so he hitchhikes back to Phoenix and he does this. And as the dad sees him, from far away off, he just starts running after him. Now, I don't know how to put this in context for our time today because back then, a man, especially a land-owning man, a wealthy land-owning man would not have run. He would have had to hike up his like very nice, fancy robes, exposing part of himself, which was a no-no in that culture, shame, and run toward him. And a man of dignity didn't do that in that culture. Children ran, 
a mom might have run to him. In fact, there's a lot of uh, commentators who would have said, this dad was acting more like a mother than a father in this moment, which I think is a beautiful way of Jesus pointing out the father, God, is the perfect parent who loves you in all ways. So he runs after him and he welcomes him. And before the son could even finish his speech that he planned out, like he's got like a PowerPoint presentation put together. Let me tell you how I'm going to pay you back over the years. And before he can even get through it all, it's like the dad's not even listening to that nonsense. He goes, hold on. Hey, bring me the best robe. In that culture, the best robe would have been his robe in the house. So it's like your dad's like, hey, he's, he's looking pretty raggedy right now. Bring me my clothes. Bring me my finest Sunday suit. We're going to put it on him. Bring me my ring, he says. That's, the ring would have had his, the family insignia on it so that when you roll it into some wax and you stamp a letter, you have the family symbol on it, and you know, you know that it has come from that family. When a dad gives his ring to the son, he's saying, you have authority to send out any letter, any word that you want on my behalf. He's giving authority. So it would be like you come home, and your dad's like, here's the credit cards. Here's the car keys. Here's the house key. Everything, it's yours again. Welcome back home. The the way that the dad shows his love to the son is outrageous. His hearers, Jesus' hearers, would have been first, like, completely in shock at the son's actions, but second, more in shock at the father's actions. Because, again, in this society, The father would have had every right, not just to disown the son, but to beat this young man. Like, and even beat him to death. And instead, he throws all his dignity away and chases after him and welcomes him in. And he kills the fattened calf. You don't get to eat meat that often in this culture. And when you do, it's hardly ever the fattened calf. Like, this is a big deal. And when you do that, it's for a banquet. It's for a feast that you invite the whole community to. Not a private party with your family and servants. And he does this all for this young man who said, I want you dead. That's the father's love for you and I. No matter where you've been or what you've done, no matter how you've turned away from him or even spat in his face with your actions, with your words, with your heart, he's saying, you, all of you, you can come back home. You could return to me. Humble yourselves and recognize that you are in need. That's that coming to your senses in Vegas and recognizing, not to, there's probably some fine people in Vegas, but recognizing, man, what am I doing here? I have messed up. It's so much better at my dad's house than here. I'm off on my own. I'm trying to build a life for myself and all of it's failing. I'm trying to create my own identity apart from him and look where I've gotten myself. I'm trying to do all these works to prove myself to the culture, to society, and look where I'm at. I am in need That's what Jesus is looking for, that humility. That's what the father welcomes back into his home. 
And then he takes you from that low place, from that lowest seat, like we talked about last week, and he moves you up into the highest seat. You're my child. You have all the privileges of being my child in my home. And this is why the oldest son is perhaps so angry. Remember, he divided the property between them, right? Technically, who does this stuff belong to right now? The father had to kill the older son's fattened calf to welcome the younger son back in. There was a cost. Remember, in between these stories of the feast and these two brothers, Jesus is telling us there's a cost to follow me and to be mine and to be welcomed at my table. The father had to kill the older brother's fattened calf to welcome the son back in in a way that is fitting and to celebrate. And what Jesus is pointing out here is that you Pharisees, you older brothers, you have an opportunity to welcome these people, your younger brothers and sisters into the community of God. It will cost you, but you have an opportunity to do it and to love them and to restore this community and make it whole again. But you aren't doing it. You are failing to love your brother and sister. How sad for this younger brother that he's got an older brother like that, right? But the good news is, even though their story ends where we don't know what the older brother does, we have a story that continues of a better older brother. You see, the the father welcomes us in sinners by a sacrifice from the older brother. And Hebrews calls Jesus just that, our older brother. Jesus is the older brother who says, He sees the father in anguish and in pain and in sadness because his child has run off. And the older brother, Jesus says, don't worry, I will go after them. I will leave my my perfect honored seat here and I will leave all my possessions and I will go after them and I will bring them home and I will restore this family and this community again. I will make it whole again and it's gonna cost me, but I'm willing to pay that cost. And not only can you kill the fattened calf for my younger brothers and sisters, but you could kill me. Jesus becomes that sacrifice, that cost, that is slain in order for you and I, the younger brothers and sisters, to be welcomed back into the Father's home. And he has done that. He has done just that. And so now, in reality, all of us are the younger brother. And the opportunity now before us is, will you come home in humility? Will you recognize that you have an older brother who has paid all the cost for you to bring you back to the father? And this is a good father. This isn't maybe the type of dad that you grew up with in your home, who is probably maybe awesome in their own rights too, but maybe not. This is a perfect one who loves you and cares for you deeply, who runs after you, who gives you the type of love that every father and mother should. The perfect parent. And is waiting to welcome you back in. But it came at a cost. The older brother's life. Invitation and expectation. You are welcome back. Will you come? Will you humble yourself?
pray that you do.